0: Well, we're going to continue our, our study of David. We've had several messages. This is the 12th lesson um, from David's life that we're looking at. And uh, probably there'll be two more after this one. But David is a man that no, no matter where, where we've been in life, he's got an example for us. I mean, he's crossed everything that we've crossed, even more, and he's got an example for us. Well, one unchanging life principle taught throughout the scripture is perhaps best articulated in Galatians the sixth chapter in verses seven and eight where it says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Now, in the Old Testament there in Hosea, in verse 8 in uh, chapter 8 and verse 7 it states the same eternal truth like this they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind sounds a whole lot like do not be deceived god is not mocked whatever a man sows he will also reap this they say the same thing well last week in second samuel in chapter 12 verses 10 through 12 nathan reminded David of, his, of this eternal truth that we're dealing with today as he confronted him with, um, concerning his sin of adultery and murder. He said this, he said, Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Don't you know that those words had to haunt David? Don't you know that had to stick in his heart like a dagger there? The sword will never depart from your house, and out of your own household I will bring calamity. Don't you know that, that, that had to get next to David? You know, that would hurt there. Now, a great myth in many modern churches today concerns God's forgiveness and God's grace. Many people They actually believe that grace means if I ask for forgiveness and God wipes away all my sin and puts me back on track and takes away all the consequences. Well, let me tell you something. There is no scripture in the Word of God that says that. It's just not there, you see. Rather, it says the Bible, it consistently talks about do not be deceived, God is not mocked, and whatever a man sows... This he will also reap. You know, this, and this is, a, a, is not just an Old Testament law. It's not something that was done away with in the New Testament. This verse is addressed to us. This verse is addressed to Christians, to the children of God, to people living under grace. This verse here is Grace does not mean that sin has no consequences, and it never has. Grace means that in forgiving you, God's not going to kill you or condemn you. And grace means that in following, uh, in, in forgiving you, God will give you the strength to endure and even grow through the consequences of your sin. But folks, if you sin, and in the process of your sin, you break an arm, Well, when you find forgiveness, you still have to deal with a broken arm. It's still there, you see. And that is also true with with, uh, sacred emotions, with, with fractured relationships, and so on. And nowhere is this eternal truth more vividly demonstrated than in the life of David. And we can see this here in 2 Samuel, in chapters 13 through 18... As you notice, we didn't print many scriptures this morning because I couldn't print that many chapters, six chapters in the, in the bulletin. But if you, if you look at the whole picture here, you'll see a fourfold uh, calamity. It did come on David from within his own household, and it began with rape. That was the first calamity that it had. Amnon, David's son, um, apparently inherited his father's sexual appetite here. However, I don't think he had his father's moral um, center or frankly even his father's charm there, but Amnon, he lusted for his half-sister Tamar. And with the help of a friend, kind of conned his father into inadvertently helping him to rape his half-sister. But With his passion spent, here's what it says in chapter 13 and verse 15, he hated her more than he loved her. You know, so after um, having used her, he just threw her out of the house and bolted the door. In other words, he didn't want to have anything to do with her any longer. Well, in verse 21, it says, When King David heard this, all this, he was furious. Well, you can imagine he was. But strangely enough, that's all it says. He was furious. Apparently, David did nothing but be furious. You know, what else could he do? When you think about David, where did Amnon get his lustful eye from? Where did that come from? How does David, how does he actually punish a a, a boy for taking a page out of his daddy's own playbook? See what I'm saying? David was furious, but he did nothing. Well... Absalom, another of David's sons, and a full brother to the violated Tamar, um, he was also furious. He didn't like what was going on. However, unlike his father, Absalom's fury, it had teeth. And so we see the second calamity of whirlwind in David's house was revenge. Revenge. For two years, Absalom plotted his vengeance. And in the end, he got his brother drunk and murdered him. Deja vu. All over again. Yet another page out of his daddy's own playbook. Well, when David heard that one son had murdered the other son, in 2 Samuel um, 13 and verse 37, it says, well, when David heard that one son had murdered the other son, it tells us that he was deeply grieved. He was grieved. He grieved both the loss of Amnon and Absalom but again he did nothing yet you know, he made no effort to see or to be reconciled with his son there when you read this story that's what you'll find out well three years Absalom lived with his grandfather and though 2nd Samuel 13 and verse 39 says that all during that time the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom in other words he wanted to But David never initiated contact. He didn't go to him. His heart ached for reconciliation, but pride prevented him uh, any effort, you know, to reach out to his son. He was just too prideful to do that. Well, at the end of this three-year period, Joab, David's general, and his right-hand man, Um, Knowing the heart of David the king, he arranged for Absalom to return to his own house. And for the next two years, Absalom now lived in Jerusalem, just a few city blocks from the king's palace, from his dad's palace there. He had three sons. He had two daughters, David's grandchildren. Now, you folks, you know what it's like to have grandchildren here because many of you have grandchildren Well, David made no effort to see or be reconciled with his son or his grandchildren there. And folks, during that time, something happened to Absalom during this five-year period. In other words, he couldn't handle it. It made him bitter. Um, The neglect and the indifference that his father had towards him, he became bitter. So, He too desperately, he longed for reconciliation with his father. But in chapter 14, it tells us that he repeatedly um, pleaded for Joab, please go get me an audience with my dad. He wanted to see his dad. But when Joab, when he ignored Absalom's appeals, Absalom went out and set fire to David's field. Now, by the way, folks, kids still do that. That still happens. When children are ignored by their parents, they often set fields on fire, you see. They act out, they do whatever they can to get the attention of mom and dad. That's what they do. Now, you know, that burning field, it may be uh, promiscuity, it may be drugs, it may be alcohol, it may be taking foolish risks, it may even be attempted suicide, but you can mark these words here, neglected children always set fields on fire. They do that kind of thing. And this morning, what I want to bring your attention to, something that we need to recognize here, is that parents can often physically be with their children, and yet, like Absalom, never really see their father's face. Does that make sense? U.S., uh, news and world reports. It's been some time ago, but they stated that 53% of the U.S. teens living today, living in intact families, spend less than 30 minutes a day with their fathers. 45% less than 30 minutes with their mothers. And out of the thousand teenagers that were interviewed, 25% reported that they never discussed their daily activities with their parents. And 42% said that um, they had not received a, uh, a word of praise from their parents in the last 24 hours. And 50% said they had not been kissed, hugged, and then over 54% stated that in the last 24 hours, they had not heard their parents say, I love you. Now, that's pretty devastating to a child. Folks, you can be there and still not be there. That happens. Well, Absalom, in this story, um, he and David, they finally got together, but the damage was already done here. Deep-seated bitterness caused Absalom to to revolt, you know, and put into motion a strategic plan to steal his father's throne and even to murder and neglect, you know, his neglectful dad. I mean, he was after him. So eventually, David was forced to run. He was forced to flee Uh, Jerusalem um, for his life. Rape, revenge, and revolt. Three calamities from the whirlwind, but it wasn't over yet. Unable to catch his father or engage his father's army, Absalom added to his father's calamity, (coughs) repulsion. So four things that comes up. You see, Absalom, at this time, he was so bitter that he wanted to punish his father. He wanted to hurt him as deeply as he could. And so, here's what he did. He pitched a tent on the roof of his father's palace. And there, he had sexual intercourse with all of his father's wives in the sight of all of Israel, just as Nathan had prophesied would happen in the 12th chapter. Now, in ancient times, it is true that conquerors often ravaged the wives of the conquered you know, in ancient times as a statement of their total dominance. They did that kind of like in your face kind of thing because they could prove that they were the mightiest or they were the strongest. Well, maybe this accounts in part for Absalom's repulsive act, but a significant addition to this ritual makes this act really an eloquent mockery here. See, the roof was the very roof from which David had lusted for Bathsheba and fetched her for his own adultery. So this was kind of back in your face, Dad. So cryptically, Absalom violated David's concubines here on the roof. Another dreadful page from Dad's playbook here. Well, eventually, David's men, they did rally to meet the Absalom's army in a field and of course David's um, experienced battle-hardened soldiers they just destroyed Absalom and his young upstarts there. It was no real competition there but before the battle began David pleaded with the officers there oh be careful for my son you know win the battle but please just be careful. I know what he's done. I know it was wrong, but he's still my boy. Please be careful with my son. And he pleaded that over and over and over. Well, the problem with that is soldiers are not trained to be careful. Soldiers are trained to kill, and that's what they did. And in chapter 18, it tells a story of how I defeated Absalom, he just fled on a horse. He ran. And his long flowing hair, a point of... Of great pride to him it became entangled in a low-hanging limb and how uh, Joab David's tough and willy general here um, who never again wanted to see the king to be put in this situation and who operated kind of by the principle if you get a mad dog down you shoot him I mean he was all business here well he ruthlessly ran three javelins through Absalom's heart while he was hanging there Um, not a pretty sight and upon hearing this death 2 Samuel 18 and verse 33 it records some of the most gut riching words of anguish in all of scripture when you read that you know hear the cry of a man who who had reaped the whirlwind. he said oh my son Absalom my son my son Absalom if only I had died instead of you oh Absalom my son my son Folks, some of you or maybe someone you know because of seeds that were sown in the past you know you're you're reaping the whirlwind in your home others may you know be um, today trying foolishly sow in the wind and you know you're making the same mistake um, that David made folks there's a lot we can learn from, from David and the Bible is so clear do not be deceived God is not mocked Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. Folks, part of wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. You know, you make mistakes and you should learn from them. But we should learn from the mistakes of others as well. You know, we should be wise enough to do that. So very quickly, I want to highlight three root causes here of David's home life calamity. We can see that. First of all, he was out of sight. David was out of sight. The plain truth is this. When you look at David's life, you'll see that David was a busy man. He was gone too much. He had too many battles to fight. He had too many responsibilities to carry. He had too many wives and too many children to love and to leave. You know, and you have to ask the question, how could intimacy possibly flourish in that kind of home atmosphere? Well, it can't. There were too many soldiers to, co- to command, too many construction projects to properly manage, and there was too much money to count. David was the classic absentee father. That's it right there. Newsweek several years ago reported on the life and death of, of Frederick Flick's this wealthy German industrialist, he amassed a, a personal fortune of more than $1.5 billion. And at the time of his death, his companies um, were generating over $3 billion a year. However, Newsweek, they reported that Frederick Flicks had one very human weakness. You see, he could control billions of dollars, um, but he could not control his own family the lives of his children they were just disasters and apparently even he lost sight of his wife's personhood and when flick's wife died the day of her funeral she buried you know she was buried at 3 p.m. and he was back in the office at 5 p.m. you know the tragedy of such a life like that it's really not unique in our world today or frankly, maybe even in our community. It occurs in families of people from all walks of life. It happens every day. It happens laborers, business people, professional athletes, celebrities, politicians, and ministers who's doing God's work. It happens in their life. You see, anyone who sows the wind will reap the whirlwind absentee fathers, family in the fast lane, kids home alone, that's where it leads. Parents say to themselves, well, there'll be more time tomorrow. There'll be more time tomorrow. But who is nurturing the moral center of your children today? Who is cultivating their spiritual roots? Who is teaching them to know how to, to love the Lord, the God, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who's teaching them that? Folks, are you counting on the preacher or the Sunday school teacher to do that? Or do you think it's the school's responsibility to uh, cultivate character in your kids? If you do, let me tell you, you are about to reap the whirlwind. Honestly. Over and over I've heard it through my life in the ministry my dad being the ministry me growing up with him and attending um, different funerals with him I've heard it you know what is that of course I love you son or daughter look at the clothes you're wearing I provided those for you look at the TV and the DVD player and the latest games that you have look at that you have in your room I provided that for you you know why do you think I gave you this new car or why do you think I've worked so hard to, to send you to the best schools money can buy? But let me tell you something. There are some children that get all that, and they don't feel loved. Children are out setting the fields on fire. That's what's going on. And the mom and dad, they're furious, and they are grieved. But too far yeah, often, oftentimes, just like David, mom and dad end up doing nothing. Mom and dad are out of sight. See, Second thing, David was out of touch. He was out of touch. David did not even know his own boys. See, whatever, whenever dad is out of sight, he will eventually just kind of drift out of touch with what's going on. You know, how could David not have seen the lust in Amnon's eyes? How could he have missed that? the same lust that once was in his own eyes. You know, how could David not have sensed the fury for revenge, you know, that had burned in Absalom's heart for two years? How did he miss that? For two whole years, Absalom plotted revenge right under his dad's nose. How did his dad miss that? You know, how did he not know how deeply his indifference and neglect for five years had affected Absalom? How did he not know that? Uh, when Absalom set Joab's field on fire, do you suppose that David just dismissed his son's vandalism as some kind of um, youthful indiscretion or making the comment "boys will be boys"? You know, you think maybe that happened? The boy was plan was planning a revolution here. The Bible tells us that every day, every day. At the same city gates, he sat there and he undermined his father's leadership. And the Bible says that he stole the people's hearts. They were listening to him. See, David, he was out of touch. And frankly, his tears and his anguish over the death of, of a son that he'd not bothered to see for five years, even though he only lived a few blocks, you know, that's kind of strange to me. Why would they do that? And yet I've seen those same tears at funerals. I've seen them because I know the family situation. You know, was it pride or just plain old guilt that made him weep that day? Well, for there's just too many dads and too many parents today are just so out of touch with their children. They have no idea what's going on inside. And then number three, David was out of line. David was out of line. Excuse me just a minute. David himself, he had wandered far from God's will for his life. He was out of line. I mean, think about it. Lust, adultery, murder lies. They're all poor examples for children. Folks, it is always the children who suffer most when dad or mom get out of line. They're the ones that suffer. And there's this tragic reality, one of the things that we need to recognize. Sin, rebellion, dysfunctionality, you know, it runs in families. It's always passed along to kids. You know, kids, they, you know, they may be very angry at parents' uh, patterns and mistakes that they make. But apart from a very intentional and heroic uh, commitment to change, and apart from the radical and transforming power of the Holy Spirit, kids will inevitably imitate and even magnify the sins of their parents. The very patterns the kids hate the most... Um, in mom and dad, whether it be being workaholics or whether it be alcoholism or affairs or divorces, they're usually repeated in the lives of the children. Folks, somewhere, someone with God's help has to break the chain. Folks, if you're in this position or you know someone's in this position, we need to break the chain. We need to help them to break that chain. Well, out of sight and out of touch and out of line left David completely out of control. And you can see how that will work. Well, when Amnon, his, uh, his son, raped Tamar, his daughter, David was merely angry. And when Absalom, his son, murdered his uh, uh, son Amnon, David was merely grieved here. He was angry and he was grieved, but he did nothing. Well... What is a father to do when he's paralyzed by his own guilt? It's kind of tough. Isn't it how do you punish your kids for copying pages out of your own playbook here? See, this is the devastation of getting out of line. Always when we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. Maybe some of you're wondering You know if God even knows you anymore because in your life you've been out of control or you've been out of touch or you've been out of line in your life maybe today you're just sowing the wind or maybe you're reaping the whirlwind well if you or any of your friends are like that I do have some good news for you because by God's grace you are not yet out of time at this point see there is a cure Now, this cure, it won't take away all the consequences of your sin. You know, you still may have to live with that, but it'll help you, and it'll help your children to begin to chart a new course and to create um, a brighter future. David was not yet out out of time. Yes, two sons were dead, but he did have other sons. And finally, David started to get his act together. Finally, at this point, David took time to zero in on a son named Solomon. Now understand, when I say son named Solomon, Solomon was not a preteen at this time. At this time, he was a grown man with his own family in line for the throne. Even, Even so, David, he had not taken his hands off the heart of Solomon, nor had God taken his hands off of David yet. Folks, the answer for you today is to heed David's words in 1 Chronicles twenty-eight, verse nine, where David said this. He said, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholehearted devotion, or with wholehearted devotion, and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive. You know what a tragedy that David didn't say those things to Amnon and Absalom. It's just tragic. Dr. Lynn Anderson, he writes this. He said, about the time I hit mid-40s, our kids began to marry and leave us. And I dreaded the rapidly approaching day when Chris, our youngest son, would leave home. Everything important to me was slipping into the past. The future seemed to have vaporized but then our grandchildren came along. Hallelujah. Suddenly, everything important in life shifted to the future, and I am today more eager than ever to teach the ways of God to my son and my daughters and their children. I learned this from David. Folks, we can learn from David as well. I don't know where you are in life. You know, things may not have gone well in your family. They might have been great in your family. I don't know. Possibly at some time in your life, you've been out of sight or you've been out of touch or you've been out of line and you've been out of control. But God has given you today and you are not out of time as it is right this moment. We don't know how long that will last because the scriptures tells us that God's going to come back. He's going to be like a vapor. Life is gone. And he's going to come back in an instant. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know if it's when, before we get through with this message or not. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be tomorrow. Who knows? We just don't know. Um, but it's not too late. So let me suggest this. If you feel like any of those things apply to you, when you walk out of here today, why don't you make a phone call? Why don't you... Why don't you... And you start this healing process back. Circle the family that you can around you. Sit down and say, yeah, you know, I know maybe I've failed you, but could our family have a new start? Can we change the way we live? Let's be family, father, mother, children, and grandchildren for future generations. In other words, get in sight, get in touch, and get in line with God's will for your life. David, give us that great example. And if we fit in, in any of that, if we can glean from that, Let me encourage you to do so. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we're just so grateful for your word, how you've blessed us with the many examples, and thank you for the life of David, a man after God's own heart. But Father, he's failed in many ways like we do, but we see a wonderful example of how to return to you. Father, help us to heed this example. Help us to live like we know your word. Jesus' name.